So I had that aha moment because I was questioning. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Leonardo da Vinci was famous for many things, painting, sculpture, engineering, invention. He was, in a word, a very curious man. He had a voracious appetite for learning. He would buttonhole people and demanding, dimi, dimi, tell me, tell me. And then he was endlessly creative with what he learned. So I wanted to tap into our inner da Vinci's and explore this relationship between curiosity and innovation. Fast forward from da Vinci and the Renaissance to 2015, when PwC undertook one of its signature surveys of more than 1,300 CEOs from around the world. How will CEOs best respond to turbulent times? Michael Dell, the chief executive of Dell, Inc., said, I would place my bet on curiosity. And I went looking for someone to talk about curiosity and innovation in this business context. And as is so often the case here in Arlington, I knew someone who knew someone. Jimena Hartsock is president and co-founder of Phone to Action, a digital advocacy and communications platforms with headquarters in Roslyn. She has a fascinating backstory. A native of Santiago, Chile, she holds a doctorate in policy studies and administration from George Washington University. She's responsible at Phone to Action for innovation and operations, and she describes herself as a born advocate. She's held an impressive array of leadership positions in the district, including spending time as a principal, an assistant principal, an agency director, and in 2009, she was appointed to the executive cabinet of D.C. Mayor Fenty. In the midst of all of that, she was clearly paying attention, and she noticed something. She realized there wasn't really a good way for ordinary folks to mobilize in their advocacy. So she decided to do something about that, and that's where our story picks up. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. And I was very excited as I started to read more about your remarkable career and trajectory to think about this noticing a gap and finding in that an opportunity. I think that we all see opportunity. Um, Sometimes we're just scared. But I think the more curious you are, the more energy you have to take risks. Ah, and tell me more about actually seeing that gap. What was it that struck you, and how long was this idea for Phone to Action percolating? Um, I had the idea for Phone to Action when I was working as a national director of membership for the National Education Group, and I was traveling across the country talking to lawmakers as well as parents and teachers about policies that would be, you know, more positive for kids that will put kids first. And uh, in those conversations, I learned that lawmakers care tremendously to hear from 
their constituents, but they didn't uh, really get that much um, feedback from from parents or teachers about this policy. So they told me, I said, we'd love to hear from you, but we'd rather hear from uh, those voters. So I will talk to parents and ask them, why don't you talk? call your lawmaker? But parents and teachers and people at the time that I was talking to, they cared tremendously mm-hmm. about these issues and they wanted to connect with their lawmakers, but they didn't know how. And many of them didn't know who represented them. And so I thought, this is late 2012. I thought, it's got to be a way to do this. And it's got to be a way to do it easy, easily from something that people have access to all the time. And at the time, a smartphone adoption wasn't very high. And so I actually took a little bit of a leap of faith. And I thought the smartphone is going to pick up uh-huh. and up. Uh, low-income and minority families and everyone across the board uh, is going to own a smartphone in a few years. And the conversations that I was having with people led me to think, why don't we have a tool like this? And what happened is that one day I was driving from Sacramento to San Francisco. It was a Saturday morning and I was thinking about this and I was thinking, how can this happen? How can What technology can be helpful to create this tool And I was thinking about this, and then Siri, I was using (laughs) GPS, and talked to me and Uh said, you know, take the ramp or whatever that was. And I thought, yes, we can do some kind of technology similar to GPS technology Mm -hmm. to match people with their own lawmakers, whether it's a city council member or their members of Congress across the board, and they can easily do it from their phone. So I had that aha moment. Because I was thinking about it, I was questioning mm-hmm. why and how. And I think a lot of the the answers to problems really come from questions that we ask ourselves and we ask really to the world. We challenge that status quo that tell you no, 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 and you kind of look for more, and that's where the solutions normally come from. I love that idea of um, sort of formulating a question and that – Simply by asking the question, you create space for the answers to arise. If you don't ask the question, yes, the solutions never come. One of my best bosses, I, I have had really great bosses in my career, um, she told me, start with the questions. Mm-hmm. If you are organizing an event, if, you're orga- if you are starting a project, start with the questions. Because if you have all of the questions, it's very likely that you will not miss anything. And it comes back to me every time. Every time there is an issue with something I do, it's because I didn't have all the questions in the beginning right, right, right in, written down. So do you actually have... Um a, a protocol or a or sort of a personal discipline in terms of generating questions as you move through your your day or your role. Every single thing I do, I start with the questions. Whether whether it's um, it's a small project, especially when it's a large project, large project, and part of the onboarding at Fund to Action, I always. Uh, uh, try to encourage people to start with questions. And when there is an issue, it normally comes down to not asking those questions. And if you have all the questions written down somewhere, you normally don't miss anything. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's very much a discipline, discipline of mine, but it's, it's, it's something I learned from, a, from one of my first supervisors, Susan Williams. It was her name. She's actually a wonderful woman, um, probably my best uh, mentor, and, and she told me that. She said, ask 
write down all the questions. Interesting. You're a woman, a Latina in the tech space. Tell me a little bit about that experience. And I don't know whether curiosity fits into that or not. I think that women are particularly curious Mm. because I think it comes down from that desire to do everything perfectly. Uh. And so we are a little bit judgmental. (laughs) So we're always looking into what doesn't look good if we go to a party, we think, well, I could do that great, or that's a good idea, or maybe I should have, like you start questioning what you you do, Uh taking ideas from other things. It's just something naturally that we do. I think it's part of our DNA. And what what is so fascinating about uh, the the women that have been in my life is that at every sta- at every stage of my career, I always go back to something I learned from one of them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the fact that I think I learned really early on to get feedback to receive feedback well, to build thick skin, because sometimes feedback comes in all ways and forms and you're not necessarily... It's not always what you want to hear. It's not normally. And normally, good feedback is not. And uh, getting used to that early on, I think it was very helpful to me, especially because I came here alone. I didn't have uh, anything to fall back on. I didn't have family. I didn't have friends. I didn't know the language. I didn't have money. I didn't have connections. I didn't have anything. And so... Uh, having anyone providing you any type of feedback was is a real gift. And mm-hmm. at the time for mm-hmm. me, it was it was uh, wonderful uh, and and very well appreciated. And my my first first boss not only she was a very strong leader, she was very firm, and she provided tremendous feedback. But she also, with that, she noticed hard work and she noticed mm-hmm. dedication and she opened opportunities not just for me but for others when she saw that. Yeah, yeah. And how about in the tech space now? Um, do you Are there differences that you see in the way that men and women inhabit the tech and innovation space or not so much? Well, this is a very hot topic Mm -hmm. right now um, across the board uh, within people that are in technology and also people outside of technology. And I always say this. I say every job today is a technology job. So pretty much Everyone is in technology. You know, I think that's actually a great insight for people. I imagine that comes as a surprise to a lot of people. Everyone, if you try to get a job as a cashier um, uh, in, in, in any store, right. you need to know how to use a digital machine today. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, to to use a credit card in many in many places, it's not as simple as it is to, to handle cash. But uh, but really, it's the future that mm-hmm. is basically determining this the fact that we will all have technology jobs in just a few years from now. To your question about women and men in the technology space, I feel that is a lot that is being done to mm-hmm. close the gap in terms of access to funding, invest, you know, venture capital for women. The numbers are still extremely low in the participation of women in technology but not so much in the number of women entering careers in technology. It's more in women actually staying mm. uh, in technology companies and, mm-hmm. and and progressing in those careers. And I think the workplace, the companies have to do a better job 
um, adapting or helping create flexible environments so women, when they have families, when they have children, for example, they can continue working. Mm-hmm. And right now we see, for, for what I've seen in the research, is that lots of women drop yeah. mid-career. And so they go back later on and they have to catch up or then the, or or they don't go back at all. And so it's very um it's very difficult to find today, even in this area, but pretty much anywhere, um, women that are founders of technology companies who are getting investment capital, who are staying in those companies and helping those companies succeed and exiting. And that's why investors probably don't have that track record that they need mm. to continue investing. Mm-hmm. So we, I think we're paying attention to some of the right things, but we're also paying attention to some of the wrong ones. Um, and I think investors, you know, they want to see their money back. And right. so they want to see a track record. And my responsibility, as I say, and now that our company is growing, is to provide that track record so other women, uh, when they go to an investor, they can point at something that is actually working. That's so interesting. I, I find myself thinking in two different directions. One is what you think sort of the right constellation of skills and mindsets for women in that startup space, but also having spent years in the nonprofit world myself and hiring people who are in some cases returning to the workplace, women returning to the workplace. I actually thought that parenting was great experience relevant to nonprofit management. But I wonder if that resonates at all. Yeah, I think that women, when they leave the workplace, they they have their families and go back, they certainly come back with a set of skills that can be extremely helpful. Uh, they turn to to be very very resourceful because they know they have mm-hmm. to juggle schedules at home with kids, and they become a lot more uh, flexible with mm-hmm. others, especially mm-hmm. as managers. I, I feel that mothers who are managers tend to to be nurturing and be m- more flexible. But I do feel that we have to do a better job, and we can do a better job to accommodate women that just leave the profession for months mm-hmm. uh, because those are the ones that suffer a lot. And because the, the workplace is not ready for them, uh, they leave, and then sometimes they leave the industry. And, and so we have an example. We have a, a, a woman who's fabulous who has uh, two young uh, children and when she had the the last one uh, she came she came back to to work just a couple of months after so accommodating her schedule was a big thing so uh-huh. she works a flip schedule so she works from 8 p.m to 10 p.m after her kids go to bed and she doesn't work from two to eight because she wants to spend time with them right. and she works in the morning right. and she has a full-time job full benefits and and and, and it's really helpful to us because she covers uh, in technology you have to be covered 24-7 and she covers the time of the day where we have and other people aren't available yeah exactly well it's that sort of creative problem solving which you know I think a lot of these things sort of fall back to creativity and, and curiosity it's like how might I find a way to capitalize on the skills and assets that this individual has that works for her as well as works for us. So you've done some interesting leaps from one thing to another. I tend to think that that's likely informed by curiosity. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yes, I think I think they are. <laughs> because I was a, an educator, then I was an assistant principal, then a principal, then assistant superintendent of schools, and then I was the director of Parks and Rec, and then I was chief of staff of the city, all in the same government. So it looks like it was very progressive, and it was. And I never really planned it that way. It just happened because someone noticed that I was doing something, so they have offered me to do something else and what else. It was kind of all aligned. But then I moved to advocacy, and then I moved to technology. And the jumps were almost equally difficult as the other jumps in government. And I think the, 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 the opportunity that I had to, to have a level of accomplishment in any of those jobs is because I always relied on something I already knew. Mm. And the message that today we don't tell people enough is that you can transition a career at any age, at any time, from almost any field to any field, generally there are leaps that can be done when you apply the right tricks that you already learned, that you already know. And so I think I cannot often say this enough, that transition, career transitions are not as hard as they look. And that the easiest thing for people to transition later when they already have uh, a career is that you have a lot more knowledge that you may mm-hmm. think you have, mm-hmm. and especially in entrepreneurship where you have a lot of people coming right out of college that uh, they don't have those skills. And so we tend to compare ourselves with them in the sense of, uh, well, I'm not innovative enough or I don't know enough technology, they're digital natives. And, and really when it comes down to entrepreneurship, it doesn't really matter so much any of that. What gets you ahead are all of the skills that get you ahead in any other job, which is resilience, endurance, hard work, dedication, passion for what you do, and ability to learn. And it sounds like also that attention to opportunity. You know, in the same way that you saw a problem and you saw it not as a problem, as a blockade, but as an opportunity. Exactly. And how do I think then about that? And jump in it. And jump to the opportunity. Lots of times we we talk a lot about calculated risks. Most risks are not calculated. Mm. You just got to jump. And and listening to your guts always helps. But when we get used to asking questions, we know where the risks are generally in life. And so you kind of know, you start learning how to make decisions quickly. The more risks we make, the less we will fail later on because we, we kind of know what works and what doesn't. Well, you've accumulated a lot of wisdom along the way that you then bring into those decisions. I love a lot of scars on my knees. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. You spoke when we were kind of planning for this conversation, not only about uh, yourself as a woman in the entrepreneurial tech space, but also as an immigrant Um, and how curiosity is so much a part of that experience as well. Elaborate on that, if you would. I believe that immigrants, doesn't matter where they come from and doesn't matter where they go. An American going overseas is as, is the same as, as, as me coming from Chile, for example. I think that is something particular about immigrants that, um, kind of equips them to take more risks and mm-hmm. be a little bit more brave, especially at times of difficulty. 
I think immigrants tend to build resilience and endurance a little bit faster. And when they fail, they recover a little bit faster. And I think it comes from this natural sense of uh, doing well when we're in survival mode. Mm. Um, that you're put in a difficult situation and you know that your life depends on it and you're going to get a skill set of whatever. Like the, the, you, pull, you pull out of your heart um, skills that you never n- even think you had in you a sense of opportunity especially for for anyone like the fact that here you your last name your zip, zip code don't define you mm-hmm. that they're not destiny it, it is incredibly empowering for someone from overseas moving and I felt that every boss every supervisor that I had in my first years they noticed that I cared and they noticed that I worked hard and they supported me and now that I have had those opportunities I try to do the same with others yeah yeah well it's been very fun to become acquainted with your trajectory <laughs> and I'm I'm very excited to sort of watch where this goes so if I were to say to you, what does it mean to choose to be curious in your life? What does that mean? I think curiosity is the basis of life. We, when we're born, you know, we go out, we we cry, you know, because we're just, oh, what is this? I, oh, I was warm inside and I'm not. And then, then what do babies do? They start exploring and they mm-hmm. get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> First four or five years, you know, you fall, you so curiosity to me is just part of who we are. Yeah. And often because we live in societies or we we we, we get into jobs that are not necessarily uh, or schools that not necessarily let us uh, embrace all of that uh, uh, curiosity that we have, we sometimes start being someone who we're not. And mm-hmm. so I think trying to, to keep um, you know, our eyes open, our senses open, try to explore and, and get exposed to many things. This is why schools are so important. So I think through life, uh, there are people that just naturally are a little bit more, um, they, they care so much about their freedom and their artistic uh, desire and their curiosity that they try to look for opportunities to keep enhancing those. Mm-hmm. And they try to be in ecosystems and they foster ecosystems where those evolved. But not everyone has the luxury uh, mm-hmm. to do that, to choose the, the school that you go to, to choose your job. So there are things that we have to do on the side to keep that curiosity. And that's what happened. I, I used to be in government. So in government, you don't choose to do everything that, that mm-hmm. you do. But mm-hmm. I believe... Uh, working for for Adrian Fenty, what what I saw in that government is that we were encouraged to think differently, to think outside the box, to not follow the status quo, to look for solutions for the for the city that normally no one else would have thought of before. And so that's why you see Washington the way that it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, we have parking meters that are digital. We have bike lanes. We have dog parks at the time where all of those things were highly controversial. Those things were and all so, new and different, yeah. And so I think is anywhere where we are in every job that we have, we have the opportunity to be curious and we should not allow the status quo to, to, to take over. 
and and to really try to think outside the box and because really for me the opportunity to 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 become an entrepreneur be- it came from uh, a moment of curiosity yeah yeah wonderful well I can't believe how quickly our time has gone. But before you go, I have this big jar of wannabe analogies. Okay, so take out a slip of paper. I'm going to take one, and I'll take one for our audience members as well. And we're going to make an analogy to whatever is on that slip of paper. Okay? You want to go or you want me to go? You can go. Okay. All right. Mine says clock. Um, How is curiosity like a clock? Um, Hmm. I guess I think curiosity is like a clock because it's a way of um, kind of measuring something that's actually sort of intangible. It's a way of exploring and describing a thing um, that's abstract. Um, And it, uh, you know, you can watch the clock. You can pay attention to the passage of time. You can sort of pay attention as curiosity pops up. I don't know. That's all I can come up with. How about you? What do you have? Sounds good, though. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have? So I got purse. A purse. Okay. So curiosity is like a purse because when I open the purse, I find a lot of things. (laughs) Some of them, which I didn't even remember, they were there. Uh That's what my purse had. It's a very curious purse. (laughs) You have a curious purse. And audience, um, yours is fire hydrant. How is curiosity like a fire hydrant? I don't know. Let us know. Facebook and Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Jimena, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up on this or other episodes, listen online on demand at WERA.FM. And if you've got the entrepreneurial spirit, we have a whole raft of shows on Radio Arlington devoted to the topic. Thursday mornings, there's a back-to-back power hour with Timothy Craggett's The Swift Kick Show at 9.30, followed by Awesome Women Entrepreneurs with Karen Bate and Evelyn Powers at 10. And Friday afternoons, catch George Macharco's DC Entrepreneur at 2 o'clock. Check us out and join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Choose to be curious. Don't forget to send us your fire hydrant analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Jimena Hartsock, and to Kara O'Donnell for pointing me in her direction. I hope you'll join us next time. And until then, choose to be curious.